everybody. Welcome to episode 116 of Literary Disco, The Fact of a Body. On today's episode, we discuss a new book from Alexandria Marzano-Lesnovich. Part true crime, part memoir, The Fact of a Body begins when Marzano-Lesnovich spent a summer in Louisiana, interning at a law firm that specialized in death penalty cases. When the first case she is presented with involves a child molester and murderer, she is forced to reconcile with her personal history and reconsider her feelings regarding the death penalty. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hey, guys. Hi. Hey. This is a happy, happy, joy, joy episode yes. for Julia right before labor, before she brings a human being into the world. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I did a, this, this book was my suggestion because it made the list of, I, I believe we talked about this several months ago, but when I went to Australia, I was like, send me all the like most horrible, gruesome, true crime books that you can because I find them to be very good vacation reading. So several people recommended this <laughs> um, and I saved it and I'm really glad I did. And so we're reading it today. So, you know, it's it's a good thing to focus on. And interestingly enough, after you recommended it, um, my friend Maggie um, went to a writer's workshop in uh, Grenada, Spain, Granada, Spain for mm-hmm. a week. And uh, Alexandra was her teacher out there. No cool. way. And she came back raving about the book, too. And I was like, oh, my God, Julia just said that uh, that we should read it. Um, so she spent a week with her out there and said that she was, you know, a, a life-changing presence. I um, kind of, yeah, I imagine she's a great teacher because I, I read the first two pages of this book, like, right as Alex and I were walking out of the door for an event or something. And, and I just sat down and I read the first two pages and I was like, oh, this is a real writer. Yeah. Like, do you know that yeah. feeling you get yeah. when you just like open yeah. up a book? And I was like, I don't care where this book goes. I am on board no matter what. She is yeah. such a good writer. It's like immediately mm-hmm. draws you in and her voice and control of language. I just, oh, anyway. So and, that's and that's the first thing to be said. I mean, she's an amazing writer, but also she, you know, she'd gone to Harvard Law. So she's got this law background that she ends up not using, which we'll, we can talk about in a minute. But so she has this, this um, ability to cogently argue points without reaching a conclusion yeah. that stretches things out in a really compelling way over the course of you know several hundred pages of, of this book. Yeah. But the logic of a lawyer mixed with the poetry of a writer, um, I, I think it yep. really ends up being a remarkable piece of mosaic that she's written. Because it, it is a memoir, it is a true crime, but it's also... It's a philosophical book. It's about, Mm -hmm. you know, the changing allegiances you have towards people when you find out the worst things about them and the reasons why they have the worst things about them. So it asks Mm -hmm. a lot of big, important questions. So Mm -hmm. just to say, I thought it was absolutely remarkable. So let's take a let's take a step back and just give a little intro to the book, a, a little bit more detailed. So in 2003, Alexandria went down. Um, she was at Harvard Law School and she did an internship in Louisiana. And the first case she's presented with at this uh, this law firm that is dedicated to uh, getting people off of death row um, is the case of Rick Langley, Ricky Langley, who Ricky. Uh, Ricky, who in the early 90s killed a little boy. Um, and the, the, the book then sort of proceeds to go into Ricky's history. The, the, the fact that he killed this little boy is not really up for debate. Ricky confessed almost immediately or a few days later. And um, 
and the 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 real story of this book becomes Alexandria trying to find the story and right. what that's you know and then that in turn takes her into her own past and her uh, upbringing and her own history um, and uh, really Ricky as this sort of enigmatic figure at the heart of the book and and her how much her empathy is going to extend to this man because she ostensibly begins uh, the book being anti-death penalty um, and at the moment of that she confronted this child molesting murderer she was forced to sort of ask herself if she would be willing to work for a law firm or help get this guy off of death row and she doesn't think she could um for a lot of personal reasons and philosophical reasons that she then proceeds to dive into uh Mm -hmm. julia what did you think oh i mean obviously i love this book um this is so beyond up my alley. I mean, it yeah. reminds me of two of my other favorite, right? Well, really one of my favorite works of nonfiction ever is Random Family by Adrienne Nicola Blanc, oh, which is yeah, very yeah. similar, very similar process in that, you know, it was a reporter. So same as what Todd was saying, like a reporter's mind, but basically followed a story for a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but actually, hold on, sorry, but she didn't insert herself at all into that book, did she? Isn't she sort of removed um, or no? Yeah. She's removed. Okay, but um, yeah, but she's in. You can tell that she is. It has the same, and we should probably talk a lot about this. It has the same quality of like, you know, it's sort of drifts into fiction or imagining mm-hmm. in a very yeah. delicate way. Right. Um. So both of those books do that, and then of course this also reminds me of Joanne Beard in certain ways, and her way of like presenting very dark material mm-hmm. in very non-judgmental language. Yeah. Mm. Um. And even though the book too. is about yeah. yeah, even though the book is about judgment, which is amazing. So I mean, what I really love about this book is. The two parallel stories, I mean, it goes back and forth between her own history and Ricky Langley's story and his family's story. Um, But the way that their lives intersect in all these very weird ways, and she doesn't overdo it, but she also doesn't underdo it. So Mm -hmm. at some points, she's sharing experiences with him. I'm not going to give anything away here, but like her family has experienced similar loss to his family, but then... At other points, she's closer to the experience of the victim. So well, the we, way we, that her story just waves in of, and out. Some of the stuff of, of yeah, the similarities. Oh, so, sure, sure. Yeah. So, for instance, Ricky Langley is the child of um, uh, Alcide and um, what's it, and Bessie, Bessie. and. Alcide and Bessie are driving from California back to Louisiana after their sort of dream of making it in California fails, and they get into a car accident. Um, And in the car are Alcide and Bessie and uh, their four children, um, two daughters, a six-year-old boy, and an infant. The six-year-old boy is beheaded in the accident. The infant dies the two girls live. Bessie is left in such a state that she's in a full body cast for like what is it, like two Over years year. or something yeah, like that. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and ends up uh, eventually losing her leg. Um, but while she's in this full body cast that literally only has an opening for her genitalia, 
she gets pregnant again. <laughs> and she gets pregnant even though they've said that she'll never give birth again because she's broken everything inside of her. And also, she is on every single possible drug that's ever been manufactured um, because she's had 8,000 surgeries and all the painkillers and everything. And she's also drinking alcohol at the same time that all of this is happening. But she gets pregnant, and the doctors tell her, and this is in 1960-something, the doctors tell her, you need to abort this child. This child is not going to be right. You need to abort this child. And she has the child anyway. And that child ends up becoming Ricky Langley, um, who has, uh, they say he has the emotional capacity of a 12-year-old. Um, and he recognizes from a very early age that he's a pedophile, that he likes six-year-old blonde boys. Um, on the other side, um, the author is one of... Uh, three triplets it was one of is one of triplets and her um sister dies and they don't tell them about the dead sister until like like till they're like 10 or something yeah. I, don't, I don't remember the exact age but that she all the time she has felt haunted prior to knowing about her dead sister haunted by this other f being that she feels like has been in her life um and so she and ricky both have been haunted essentially by these dead siblings that they never met um so there's a very there's a i mean it's a pretty clear parallel line that she's drawing between herself and ricky except mm -hmm. that she went one way and ricky went another way right and i mean and you know there's alcoholism in there and all these other echoes throughout their stories but i mean the, the other thing that you're not saying that comes that comes even even sooner is that she herself was molested right so those those things play together in those stories um in just this way that is both horrified and empathetic in a way that i Obviously, I mean, when when this book was recommended to me, people were like, this is a book that you want to get like you're out, you know, like, let's say you're like out at a bar with your friends drinking and you're thinking about the book mm -hmm. and you want to go home and continue to read it. Like, that's what, what kind of book this is. It's just very absorbing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got the audio book because I was reading it and then I had to drive to L.A. for something. And I was like, well, I'm not just leaving Ricky in that yard. <laughs> like, I got to I got to find out what's going on. Well, but see, what's so funny about that is that actually, plot-wise, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it mm -hmm. opens with the most, like, crazy plot twists. Like, it, they're in the first chapter, right. or the first couple chapters, because they're very short chapters. Um, you know that Ricky murdered this little boy, Jeremy, which is, you know, the, mo the most sort of shocking thing. And then you know the other deaths that occurred um, pretty much immediately afterwards. Another, the, the, the little boy who was murdered, his father and his half brother died in this bizarre suicide that yeah. no one really kind of understands what was going on there um and and then you pretty quickly know i would say within the first 30 pages you know that your that alexandria was molested by her grandfather as a child and so those are the major connections that uh, that are going to drive you know those are the major plot twists and not much changes in terms of right. like it's really just about her coming to writing the book that you're reading, you know, coming to terms with trying or, or not coming to terms, actually trying to come to terms with these events and, and making these parallels between herself and this 
this murderer and this child molester trying to forgive him in some ways, but Mm -hmm. then wrestling with the very notion of forgiveness. Is it, you know, is it worth forgiving? Um, Should this person ever have been born almost? It seems to be, you know, she begs that question Mm -hmm. with the way she reveals the the story you're talking about, Todd, with um, his past. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is like, this is the perfect sweet spot for me as far as true crime and, and memoir go, because I... You know, I, I've always thought that if if I was if I hadn't had success as an actor, I totally would have been a lawyer because I definitely have like a very lawyerly mind as far as like what she gets at, which is that a lawyer's job is to create story and like mm-hmm. a sort of logical, definitive understanding of an event and, and to find the, the, the beginning, the root cause of something and and to work through those causal links. And so I, I, I just loved the way her mind works and the way she lays it out and struggles with the way her mind works. Right. And, it, it, you know, that's what the joy of this book becomes, the sort of flip-flopping that she's going through of like, don't you feel something for Ricky? Don't you feel something? And then turning it on your head and being like, no, this guy's a monster. I don't want to feel anything for this. I just want to reject this and hate this person. And, you know, yes, send them to the electric chair or just get them out of my life in whatever way. And that's sort of, that's, you know, she relates that the way that she's investigating Ricky to the relationship she has with her parents and her grandfather Mm -hmm. because of the the things in their pasts. And it's also, though, too, about the stories we tell ourselves just to live every day. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, she talks a lot in the book just about, you know, the narrative you build around your own life and the narrative that is built around other people's lives. And there's a so the the abuse that she suffers at the hands of her grandfather, also her sister faces that abuse as well. Um, and there comes a time, um, you know, I think she's eight or nine, something like that, where their parents realize that this is happening and they ask her, are you being abused basically? And she says, yes. And then it's just never talked about again. The parents essentially pretend that it didn't happen. They keep the grandfather away from the girls, but he still is part of their lives. But it's just, it's like this uh, avoidance therapy. Like if you act like it didn't happen, it didn't happen. And then, yeah. And then there's this, point much later on in the book and much later on in the author's life where her father who is clearly an alcoholic but also probably bipolar and manic depressive um they're talking at a party essentially about you know tragedies and traumas and stuff and the father says something along the lines of oh you know something um terrible happened but you know only alexander is the one who remembers it um talking about this abuse that happened as though it's now just a mythical thing that only belongs to her, mm-hmm. um, which makes her right. separate outside of her family even more. And, you know, she, she's, she essentially falls into all of the sort of predictable things that happen to people when, when their, their trauma is ignored, she becomes um, anorexic. She starts to hurt herself. Um, you know, you know, withdraws from society, all these, you know, sort of textbook things, um, because the facts of her body are being ignored by her own family, her, her parents would Mm -hmm. rather ignore that it happened than deal with it head on. Hmm. And I think, you know, even though those things are textbook, it is, again, like, it's such an interesting way to do a memoir, because 
it's not this straight line of like, okay, this happened to me and then right. these dominoes fell. She's weaving in and out of this story. So you really do get to see the like long-term trauma and how it plays out um, in her life and how she recovers or doesn't recover or retells her own story. Um, I don't know. There was something to me especially touching – touching is too hallmarky of a word, but like very moving about – um, the way that she dealt with the eating disorder, you know, like mm. it wasn't this huge chapter. It mm. wasn't revealed as a twist, you know, it just sort of weaved in and out um, of the story in the way that it wove in and out of her life. Like at some points it was bulimia, at some points it was anorexia, mm. at some points she was just cool and skinny, you know. Right. <laughs> and as she grew, you know, that changed too. And I, I don't know, I, th- I thought that was really well done. Yeah, and then the the actual investigation or the revelation of the crimes that Ricky Langley has committed, um, you know, he's he comes off surprisingly empathetic in places, um, yeah. and you know I, that's of course the challenge of writing about any human in a complex way is that you know very rarely are monsters all that they seem, and so by delving into his family and delving into his development. And all the times that he tried to get help for himself and all the times right. that he was turned away, um, right. you know, it also becomes a condemnation on, um, you know, the the safety nets set up for people who want help for things. But all that being said, he's also, he's a terrible, awful pedophile who killed a boy and might have assaulted hundreds more. I mean, that's that's the the, the challenge of the story, too, is that Ricky as the book progresses, changes his story a lot, changes what he's done. At, at some points, he he comes off as empathetic. At some points, he comes off as um, merely sick. And at other points, he comes off as, um, you know, there's, there's a point in the book where she talks about how everyone that had come in contact with him wanted to take care of him. You know, mm-hmm. that there's some aspect to him where people thought that they could save him. Um, and so he becomes this tragic figure also, which really fucks with your mind when you're reading the book because yeah. you like, so here's, here's my personal beliefs. I am against the death penalty, except he said with a question mark, <laughs> except like if someone killed my wife right. or someone killed you, Ryder, killed you, Julia, I would want that person to die. And, and so that's, that's the intrusion of reality, you know, that, that, you can have these long-held beliefs until reality steps in front of you, and then what happens right. in that situation? Right, right. Except that you're, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had this discussion last night with my wife because my wife is always, you know, anti-death penalty mm-hmm. and can't even like watching shows like how to make a uh, how to make a murderer or like mm-hmm. shows where people get convicted unfairly are like the things that just drive her so insane. Right, the, you know, shows that show how how fucked our system is and how unfair our system is consistently. Um, that drives her nuts. But then we started getting into, I was like, well, what about like in a purely hypothetical, you know, this per you watch somebody shoot this person in front of you, you know, and you have the ability to push a button and, you know, death. And then she was like, well, I guess maybe, you know, and we just started getting into the discussion. I was like, you have to read this book, the fact of a body, yeah. because I feel like that's what this book gets at is, is uh, it, it kind of, 
it, it, it messes with whatever pure ideal you have about the death penalty, um, whether it's for or against. Mm-hmm. I think that reading this book makes it messy in the most human and interesting way. Oh, totally. Um, totally. And I think yeah. that that is such an important exercise for everyone to go through. You know, just the, the power of empathy. Like, how far are you willing to empathize? And I mean, we talk about empathy as like the major engine of reading to begin with. And I think that this right. book is like, the, you know, the, it, it's, 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 it, it's so easy, I think, to be uh, idealistic one way or the other, whether you're anti or pro death penalty. It's, it's kind of easy and it's clean. And like making a, a, a clear decision about that, like the author does when she's, what, eight? Like I, it does. It feels like something you decide when you're pretty young. You just have like an instinctual or maybe you have like an intellectual decision that you're like, I am pro or anti. And mm-hmm. I think this book is just a great exercise in complicating that um, either way. Yeah. And like that's a worthwhile journey. And I think the like couple of I mean, look, we all know the true crime right now is so like fun and popular, you know, between and this is like a year old, everything I'm about to refer to. But, you know, serial and making a murderer and the Robert Durst one, uh, the jinx. But particularly with serial and making a murderer, my experience with those two, both of them was not the intended uh, experience where I ended up being like, these guys fucking did it. Like, they did it. And, and like, I've actually is, talked I'm, to more than one people, more than one person who says the same thing. Yeah. I, yeah. And that, but that makes it so much more complicated to be right. presented with like, oh, look at these poor people. They were set up. Like, theirs were missing information. Da 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 da. Like, yeah, that is very, very compelling, but it's also. You know, it's also like the easiest possible emotional yeah. switch. Like, yeah. let me personally, as a listener, like save them in my mind. Right. right. But when it's the other way around, you know, it's a lot more complicated. And that's what is cool about this book is that it doesn't even. It's much more typical, I think. Is right. we know what they did, and now you have exactly. to decide what what do you do with this person in your mm-hmm. society? What do you do with this person in your culture? Yep. And not um, even not even the mother of the dead boy knew what to do with Ricky Langley, you right. know. And we, so we won't spoil what happens between them, but um, there comes a point in time where the relationship between them changes, and what she wants for Ricky Langley changes a couple times. Um, but you know what is also sort of interesting is that, you know, we talk a lot about the sort of glorification of small town things, you know, like this, you know, welfare porn movies I like, you know, the Daniel Drell books and things like that, things going on in Appalachia or S-Town, you know, all that stuff, mm-hmm. um, as though that that world is different than the world that we live in. And here you have a tiny little town um, with cops that are hunting in the very woods where they're looking for a dead boy and where everyone sort of knows each other and they're working at the gas and sip and all this stuff and then you meet the people and there's no there's no mysticism to the people the people are have the same hopes and dreams as anybody else um and they're just as fucked up but they also lack the social services that might Uh save them from themselves in some cases you know Uh and i it's you know, there, I think there's uh, there's something sordid about these small towns we, because we live in these big towns. But when you get right down to it, it's just people with the same exact problems that you have. Um, and these stories disappear because they aren't unusual. These things happen yeah. in every single town. Well, but I think that that's actually a very, very important point that um, Alexandria 
makes in the beginning when she she spends a lot of time in those first couple chapters introducing her own childhood specifically uh, describing the town she lives in and its relationship to like the other part of town across the railroad mm-hmm. tracks that is not well off that like she basically presents her position of privilege in relation to the rest of America um, very mm-hmm. effectively I think that is mm-hmm. incredibly smart because you know she's she that that prevents it from becoming poverty porn like i mm-hmm. you know because i think that she's very aware and she's very she's not she's not she's saying basically like even even where i lived which was clearly in a nice situation shit got real and right. shit got bad in my family and mm-hmm. yes we had money and we had social services and we had all the things that um but here's where my story overlaps in certain areas right. with these people and then she gives those people so much room and so much human you know she gives them depth and character and 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 benefits of the doubt and i think that 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 goes a long way that mm-hmm. she ta- that she has the the patience to do that and to to string her story out in that manner i think was very smart because otherwise like yeah, like if she just was like writing about Ricky Langley and then being like, you know, this person got murdered and this kid and I had bulimia, and I'd be like, what? Come on. Like these are not equivalent things, you know, like don't make this about you. And she's very careful to 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 plot how she makes it about her. Um, right. In, 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 in a very effective way. Like and, and I, like any other author, like if anybody was not as good of a writer as she is, that that would be really hard for me to handle, but she pulled it off. I mean, halfway through this book, I hated her. I really did. <laughs> halfway through this book, I was like, stop making this about you. You are so self-indulgent. Da, da, da. And then I turned a corner where I was like, no, this is this is the book. Like, this is, mm-hmm. and that, you know, this is a memoir more than it is a true crime mm-hmm. thing. And this isn't, like, that's why the serial and how to make a murderer comparisons kind of fall apart is that those were about like the carrot that you were being, that you were chasing as a reader was right. guilt or not guilt. Right. She like does not make that about that. That Like she gives you the, he's guilty up front. Right. Like, we know he murdered the kid, whether he molested this particular kid or not is up for debate, but he's a child molester. He's a murderer. That's a fact. And so then it just becomes this sort of relationship to those facts that matter and that is so much more interesting and i think more powerful in the long run i think her role her memoir portion of it actually i kept thinking about midnight in the garden of good and evil yes um Mm -hmm. you know it's a different kind of book obviously but it has at its core a murder but in midnight in the garden of good and evil the main character who's the or not the main character the the author who's also the narrator um his life is not tragic. He is the parachute. Right. The outsider. He's the outsider who can view things for as they really are. And I think what Alexandria has with her is that she has she is an outsider in her own body, an outsider in her own family. Ooh, well and put. she has more in common with these people um, through the trauma that she has faced than she has in common with the people that, you know, were in at Harvard with her. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that her her proximity to trauma, her own personal trauma, um, and understanding how predators work um, from her experience lends credence to the um, the emotional levels that exist in her portrayal of Ricky Langley. Yeah. Well, right. And she can't even speak with her own twin brother. Yeah. You know, mm. you know it, he walks up to that line uh, at least once where he says, like, why don't you hang out with grandpa? Right. And she just can't answer. And 
It is. It, I, I totally agree, Todd. It's it's artfully done how how isolated she becomes. And I think another thing that's done really well is she's never condescending to the other women mm-hmm. in the story. Um, so the mother of the victim, Ricky Langley's mother, they are given like absolutely amazing treatment, yeah. I think, in this book um, for the way that they deal with their children and their own traumas. You know, I mean, like the whole body cast thing it's the creepiest so, thing ever. It's, it's so bizarre. creepy. Yeah, because she she has to ponder. Alexandria has to ponder as a writer. Like, was she, it's totally possible she was raped, or that she wanted to, you know, be having sex in a full body cast, and you know, we'll never know. So, like, that's a huge question that she can't that she can't answer. And I, it was good. Yeah, it was good it, work, it, you guys. It was really good. I mean. And I haven't stopped thinking about it since I read it, which is always a sign of of a really good book. Um, And in a way, you know, I was thinking about Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, but I was also thinking in a in a kind of way, Devil in the White City, where the evil is presented up front and the the reader plays a role in figuring out the causality, you know, and the mystery becomes personal versus within the text itself. Um, which I think is a nice touch. But it's also just really, as you said, writer, it's really artfully done. She's just a a, a wonderfully vivid writer. Um, the one thing that I think is a challenge in the book and which she states right up front is that she makes stuff up, you know. Um, she, <laughs> but she always mm-hmm. prefaces it by saying imagine or maybe or, you know, perhaps this happened, perhaps that happened, you know, perhaps he got sweet on a girl, you know, there she um she puts on her research a narrative spin that makes her research come alive and that's that whole essence of true crime that's existed since truman capote you know since in cold blood um but it's also what gives this book the the feeling like you're in a dream sometimes you know that the things are not there's not always concrete scenes sometimes it's just flashes um and right. I, I haven't read any of the reviews, but I suspect that there are reviews that take her to task for it. I suspect there are reviews that say it's great for it. Um, but I think the ability to present it in the way that she does by saying imagine or maybe or, or, or yeah. any of those things, and by admitting up front that she doesn't know exactly, that's how we tell stories. You know, mm-hmm. that that's the nature of storytelling, no matter how they happen. Like, I was talking to this guy the other day. I do in the in the desert here this storytelling event um, that's like the moth basically, and this guy uh, is telling a story about family and his family story that everyone tells is the time that they were in Washington D.C. and a guy ran out of a store and the store owner screamed "Stop thief!" and so this guy and his uncle took off after this thief and were chasing him through the streets of Washington D.C. for a really long time and at some point the guy turned and looked over his shoulder. And was staring at them like, why are you chasing me? Like, what what, what are you doing? And the, the storyteller guy was like, I've thought about his face the entire time. Like, he must have thought, what is wrong with these guys? You know, why are they chasing me? Well, they, I don't even know these guys. Mm-hmm. These are cops. And then he he's developed this entire um, logic base for who this guy is and who he was at that moment. Just in that time when they locked eyes while they, while they were chasing after each other. And this is the same thing, you know. Uh-huh. Trying to layer context onto 
experience, basically. Uh-huh. Um, which I think good books do. You know, I think I think that's what separates this from just a dime store true crime book. Yeah. Are there mm-hmm. dime stores anymore? I guess not. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> what could you buy for a dime nowadays? Gumball? Can you get a gumball for a dime? Eh, might quarter. Even a quarter now. <laughs> Julia's defiant. That's we quarter. should just stop making <laughs> all coins below twenty-five cents, right? Like quarters are just about as low as it gets. Yeah, yeah. I, like I've got bags of coins in the house, which I just assume at some point I will turn in for millions of dollars. Or you'll just go play video games somewhere. Oh my god! Watching Stranger <laughs> Things has opened up in me the desire to go to an arcade and spend. Twenty dollars playing video games. Exactly, it's like a buck fifty to do any game now. (laughs) I I was a master at Dig Dug. I could I could go back and play that. (laughs) All right. So anyway, that was fact of a body. Um, You guys should all read it. I think it's I think it's an absolutely worthwhile read, Um, and it will question your beliefs about um, just about every aspect of the human condition. (laughs) Perfect. Highly recommended by yes. all three. A rare, a rare bingo. A rare rave. For literary disco. <laughs> <laughs>